I don't know if y'all are ready for this. I don't know if y'all are ready for this. God, we thank you for your word that it brings life. We thank you for your word and that it's living and active. And God, we thank you for your presence that you've promised to be with us at every moment of every day. And Father, this morning, I pray for an awakening of hearts right now in the name of Jesus. I declare that hearts are going to begin to be awakened to the truth of the promise that your presence is inside of us, that we are your home, God. We are your temple, living stones being fitted together to become the house of God. Every single one of your sons and daughters this morning are going to be awakened to the reality that you desire to move in them, to dwell in them, to live with them, and to fellowship with them, God, in the name of Jesus. We are going to be a powerful people because our God, whom lives in us, is powerful. We worship you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, today, my prayer is that we would lay hold of the reality of God's presence in our lives. That we wouldn't just see that that promise is for a select few, but we'd recognize the truth that that promise is for every single one of us. The title of today's sermon is The House of Fellowship. Look to your neighbor and say, The House of Fellowship. If I were to sum this sermon up in one sentence, it would be this. You have been created to house God's presence and fellowship with his spirit. You have been created to house God's presence and to fellowship with his spirit. You know, Pastor Benjamin preached last week on really recognizing what it is that God has placed inside of us and learning to allow it to flow from us. He said we have to move from a fountain faith, a fountain faith that recognizes the gifts of God and the presence of God and the spirit of God that has been placed in every believer. We have to move from that type of faith where we just rejoice in the fountain to the river type of faith where the spirit of God begins to flow from within us like living water. We have to take our take the promise of God. Take the gift of God's presence that's been placed inside of us and allow it to begin to flow into every aspect of our lives. And so today I want to piggyback on that message because as we begin to move forward in that reality, there's three things that the enemy tries to do to keep us from recognizing it and to keep us from truly living in the presence of God in our daily lives. And so the first thing The first thing that the enemy tries to do to keep us from living in that reality is to keep us in ignorance. It's to keep us in ignorance because if he can keep us in from the ignorance of knowing, if he can keep us in ignorance from knowing that God's presence is in our lives at every day, at every moment, then he can keep us from walking in the power of God in our lives at every day, at every moment. You know, there's that phrase that ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss. And I looked up the word bliss because I've always heard that. But I was like, what the heck does that mean? I mean, who uses the word bliss right now? Anybody? Tell me if you used bliss in the last month. Anybody? See? Amen. Amen. Right? So I was like, what the heck does bliss mean? And as I looked up the word bliss, it literally means paradise, heaven, carelessness. There's no concern. And the phrase that says ignorance is bliss is saying when you're ignorant about something, really you're experiencing heaven in that area. And a lot of times we think that's true because it's like, well, if I don't know there's a monster in my closet, then guess what? I don't need to be afraid of the monster in my closet. But if there is really a monster in my closet, then guess what? I'm going to freak the heck out, right? 
And so many times we think that if we're ignorant of something, it's cool because we don't have to worry about that thing. If we're ignorant of the sin that's in our lives, well, cool, let me stay in it. And I won't have to trip about being in bondage because I don't know that I'm in it, right? Don't tell me it's wrong because the minute I know it's wrong, I got to do something about it. But I want to rephrase that phrase. I want to want to tweak it a little bit. And I want to propose to you that today ignorance is deadly and it's dangerous. Ignorance is deadly and it's dangerous. If Satan can keep us ignorant of the presence of God that is in our lives, he can keep us in powerlessness. But scripture tells us in Romans 8 that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is living inside of us. Look to your neighbor and say, that's deep. See, because none of you really responded when I said it, but I just don't think you really get it. I'm going to say it one more time. The same spirit that rose Christ from the dead is living inside of every single believer in Jesus Christ. Hebrews says that Christ was raised from the eternal spirit. By the eternal spirit, he was raised. The spirit of the living God. Literally, death had its grip on Christ. Because God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Death had a right to Christ at the moment that he took upon our sin. But, but, the spirit of God did not allow Christ to remain dead. He did not allow Christ to remain in death, in the consequence of sin, in the suffering of sin, Or in the punishment of sin. The spirit of Christ rose Jesus from the dead three days after he was crucified. And Paul says that the spirit, the power that conquered death itself, is living inside of you. See, y'all didn't get it yet. That's all right. Because you're going to get it. You see, what happens is, if Satan can keep us ignorant... Of what's truly inside of us. He can keep us crippled. And he can keep us in bondage. And he can keep us believing the lie. That we have no power. To live victorious. In every area of our lives. You know slave masters. What they used to do to people. That were their slaves. Not just one type of ethnicity. But you could study slavery. All throughout the history of mankind. The major thing they try to do is keep the people ignorant of the power that they have. Individually and collectively. Think about it. You have one slave master who may have a gun, who may have a rod, but you have a hundred slaves. If they all bomb rushed him, maybe one, five, ten, or twenty may be shot. But those eighty who did not get shot are going to kill the mess out of that man. And guess what? They're free. But what happens is, the enemy tries to keep us, slave drivers try to keep those who are in slavery, ignorant of the power that's inside of them. And Satan tries to get us to believe the lie that we don't have what God says that we have. And as long as we're believing that lie, and we're ignorant to every single thing that God placed inside of us, then guess what? We don't walk in the power of every single thing that God has placed inside of us. Hitler, one of his main tactics in genocide, in killing the millions of people that he killed, was to get them to believe 
that they were an inferior people to his people. He, was, he tried to get them to be ignorant of the God-given gifts, of their God-given identity, and of their God-given power as human beings. And when he, when he brainwashed them into believing the lie that they were powerless, into believing the lie that they were inferior, it crippled their ability to live with the power that they were naturally given by God as human beings. They were told that they were stupid, They were told that they were ignorant. They were told that they didn't have the ability to be able to learn. They were told that they weren't as smart as the Aryan race. They were told that they weren't as educated. They were told that they weren't as strong physically as the people that were uh, keeping them in bondage to slavery. And because they were ignorant of the truth, it was a lot easier to keep them in bondage and to keep them in powerlessness. We have to rise up as the church. We have to rise up as Christians and begin to recognize that from beginning to end in Scripture, God's desire was always to dwell in the midst of his people. God's desire was in creating humanity was to dwell inside of them. When God first formed Adam, what did he do? He stepped down, stooped down, began to form it out of the dust. And then what did he do? He breathed his own breath. He breathed his own spirit. Literally that, that word ruach. It was spirit. It was breath. He breathed into humanity his very presence. In the garden, Adam and Eve were working. And who was with them? God. Every moment of every day, God's desire was to be with his people. You know, I was, I've been reminded. Because when I was a little child. I'm going to just keep it real, alright? I know I'm heck of like buff right now. And like fearless, right? But when I was a little kid, I was a crybaby. All right, Jer? Just got to keep it real, huh, bro? And my dad could have testified to this, right, Pops? Pops, I love you, man. And I was a crybaby. You know, when my mom and dad left the house, I was the one when everybody was having fun because they gave them snacks and they're watching movies. I was the one that chased them down the hallway. When the door shut, I jumped on the doorknob, would hang upside down and start bawling my eyes out because I didn't want them to leave. That was the old me. I'm a new creation in Christ. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Keep it real. But I was the one that, when my mother went to the doctors for checkups, they said, your son might not live. Right, Pops? They said, you might have to abort your son because if he's birthed, he might also kill you. And so the pregnancy was dangerous, not only for me, but for my mother. The delivery was dangerous, not only for me, but for my mother. And I was, I was that son. And I, but I was the son that also, when I was a young boy, I was sick, right? Constant earaches, up in the middle of the night crying. My dad would tell me stories of how he would, you know, come into the room and I was screaming my head off. And there'd be times where he would just pick me up and he would begin to sing a song to me. And to this day, I remember that song. Because even as I continued to grow older, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, I still remember my dad singing to me as a grown man. I, I still love that song. It's amazing. And I'm going to share it with you because it's powerful. And the song is this. It says, I was born to be thy dwelling place, a home for the presence of the Lord. It says, let my heart now be separated unto thee, that I may be what I was born to be. 
as a child, even before I understood the words of those songs, God was prophetically declaring over my life that Joseph, you will walk in what you were created to walk in. And that is the carrier of my presence. You were born to be my dwelling place, the home for my presence. And the cry of the song was, Lord, let my heart be separated to you. So I can be what I was born to be. But that song is not only prophetic over me. That song is the reality for every believer in Jesus Christ. You were born to be a home for the presence of the Lord. And it's time that you begin to awaken to the call to separate your heart unto God. So that you can be what you were born to be. Because as long as you believe that you were born for something else. As long as you believe or don't believe that you were born to house God's presence, then guess what? You won't live in the reality of housing God's presence in every moment of every day, no matter where you go. But if you're awakened to the truth that when God breathed into humanity, he became alive. That God's word says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that you are meant to be his temple. That you are the temple of the living God. Not this four walls, not this church building, but you as a believer in Jesus Christ have become the very temple of God. Until you lay hold of that, guess what? You're probably not going to experience God's presence manifest at every moment of every day, no matter where you go in your life. But if you begin to lay hold of that truth, if you begin to recognize that Jesus really was the baptizer in the Holy Spirit, That he didn't just theologically immerse me in his family, as scripture says, but he wants me to experience the power of his spirit every moment of every day. Unless you begin to step into that and recognize that you too will walk powerless. And if Satan can keep you in ignorance of these truths, then he can keep you from really understanding that the living, almighty, all-powerful God dwells inside of you. You see, before the Reformation took place, you know, when the church was considered the the one holy Roman Catholic church, there was one church and they worshiped together. There was bishops and there was a pope that led the church together. And there was something that really troubled the reformers, Martin Luther, John Calvin and others. And it was the thing. It was the theology that was taught and the practice that not every single believer had access to the presence of God. During this time, there was what we call priests. And those priests were the ones that people went to and confessed their sins to. These priests were the ones that performed the duties of the church. And every other believer was considered this normal Christian, not saints. Even though Paul says in Ephesians, to those who are holy in Christ, literally in Greek, though to the saints in Christ. He wasn't speaking to a select few. He was speaking to every believer. And there was a theology that was taught that unless you're a priest by position, you can't experience the presence of God nor minister to the people of God. And so the reformers rose up and said, hold on. Martin Luther began to study scripture. He began to say, no, scripture says that every believer has access. Scripture says that God has made us to be a kingdom of priests. Scripture says that the spirit of God dwells in every believer. And he began to teach what was called the the, the priesthood of all believers. That every single believer in Jesus Christ was meant to minister to God and minister to the world on behalf of God. 
And he began to say that, hold on, there's a discrepancy here. There's not only supposed to be a select few who are anointed. There's not only supposed to be a select few who have the call of God. But every believer is meant to house the presence of God and minister to the world on behalf of God. And so as he rose up, the church at the time said, Martin Luther, you're a heretic at this moment. We are casting you out of the church. But for him, it was far too important to help set the people of God free to recognize the reality of everything that was inside of them, of everything that was promised by them, because he was witnessing things like this. If you sinned, you would have to go to the Catholic church and to the priest, and you would have to pay money in order to receive a certificate that said your sins were forgiven. He was experiencing things like this. People were being told that they had to go on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem in order for them to receive salvation. Leave their families, leave their homes, leave their jobs, raise their own money and travel months, months from Rome to Jerusalem in order for their sins to be forgiven. When he began to read scripture, he said, hold on, Christ has forgiven us of sins. If we confess our sins before him, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. Why am I having to take a trip? Why am I having to fight in a crusade and kill other human beings so I can be saved? When scripture says that it was the blood of Christ that purified me from all unrighteousness and that by grace I'm saved through faith. And so he began to rise up and say, hold on, every believer should have access to the word of God. But guess what? The normal Christian at the time could not read Latin. And what was scripture written at the time? Latin. And so the reformers and and George Wycliffe, they made it a point to begin to create the printing press. And Martin Luther began to translate the Latin scripture into normal German everyday language. Because he was tired of the people of God walking in ignorance of what's inside of them. The prophets say, my people perish for lack of knowledge. And see, they had an excuse in one sense. They couldn't read Latin. They couldn't go and worship at any moment that they wanted to if they didn't have the money to do it. But we have the word of God. What's our excuse? We have access to scripture. We have access. We know that we have access to the presence of the living God at every moment of every day. Because that's what the Bible tells us. Why are we not living in it? Why does it seem as if our lives are so dead? Why does it seem as if we're experiencing a void spiritually? We may be feeling those things, but guess what? They are not truth. If we would only come to grips with the reality that Jesus said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, then guess what? At any moment of any day, you may feel abandoned, but you're not. You may feel empty, but you're not. You may feel like God's far from you, but he is not. Because that's what the truth of the word of God says. Now we need to begin to move from a place of knowing it to experiencing it. We need to remove the ignorance that's been in the body of Christ by studying the word of God. By knowing that the presence of God is living in us and beginning to hunger after a manifestation of it in every single day of our life. Not just in our services, not just in the four walls of our church. Because the thing is this, if Satan cannot keep you ignorant of the truth, if Satan cannot keep you ignorant of the fact that God wants to dwell inside you at every moment of every day, the next thing he will try to do is to contain God's presence in your life. He'll try to contain it. Because the thought behind it is, I'm going to try to contain what I can't control. 
if I can't keep them ignorant, first I'm going to try to keep them ignorant. Because if I can keep them ignorant of truth, then guess what? I'll control the mess out of them. But okay, they know the truth now. And scripture really says the truth shall set you free. Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You can't know truth without the spirit of God. Because when the spirit of God comes, he brings truth and he brings freedom. They're simultaneous. But I can't keep them ignorant. Then guess what? I'm going to contain the presence of God in them. I'm going to keep their experience of God's presence to the four walls of their church. I'm going to keep their experience of God's presence to where they're alone in their prayer closet. I'm going to keep their experience of God's presence to their worship services and their revival services and their conferences. Because it's all good. They're already saved. I can't do nothing about that. But if they're going to step out into the world, oh, snap. I'm going to lose some of my people. And I ain't going to let that happen. So guess what I'm going to do? Hey, have your conferences. That's cool. Just worship God there. Have a good time. People that have been healed, let them be healed again. People that have been delivered, let them get delivered again. People that receive five prophetic words, give them five more. That's cool. They'll be happy. I'll keep them contained. So having their Christian circles, I'll keep them in their Christian cliques. I'll keep them in their Christian services. That's all good. But don't let them step outside of it because if, if they do, my army is going to start to get mad. If they do, they might start snatching up some of my people. You see, I was talking to a friend in San Francisco and he's ministers in the Soma district of San Francisco, Sixth and Market. And I was like, man, why is it so bad here? Because literally right outside of his door, people are shot. They have a, you know, retreat center or a, a rec center where the kids, you know, come every single day after school. They have their church there. And people selling drugs right, right. Literally, you, what, you open this door, they're there, right there. I'm not talking about across the street. I'm talking about right outside the door. And I'm like, bro, like, so what's going on here, man? Like, why is this all, like, here? And he said, San Francisco PD, they're not ignorant of what's happening here. But in their eyes, they can't control it or they don't want to control it. So what they do is they contain it. He says there's a district and it's shaped like a, a triangle if you were to ma- see it on a map. And what they do is they contain the prostitution, the drugs, the alcohol, and the gangs to this area. They know everything that's going on. And I was like, are you serious? He said, yep, they know everything that's going on here. He said, man, my dad one day... There was a shooting that was happening right outside and drug dealers right there. My dad one day called the cops for about an hour. Called and waited, called and waited, called and waited. He was parked right outside the street. He said nobody came. And then he said right after that, my dad was like, all right, forget it. Hour, I'm going to go. He started, he pulled out, went over like a block or two to the next district. He said he didn't have a seatbelt on and immediately a cop pulled him over. His dad flipped out. He's like, we've been calling you for an hour, but I don't got a seatbelt on. Someone's getting shot and drugs are being sold, but you'll do something about a seatbelt? And the same thing, though, happens with the enemy. See, they contain wickedness. The enemy tries to contain God's power. He knows that if what's inside of this house is released into this world, it will be turned upside down. He knows that the believers are not ignorant of the fact that the spirit of God is inside of them and the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead is inside of them. He knows if they really believe that and got a hold of it and they begin to live that out on the streets, he knows that he will lose people from hell. He knows that he would have to change his strategy. He knows that he is powerless against a powerful believer. 
He couldn't hold Christ down. He couldn't hold death down. He couldn't hold sin down. And all of that's inside of you. Why are we believing the lie that he can hold us down as a people? If we would truly lay hold of the presence of God that is inside of us and begin to say, Father, no longer do I want your presence to be contained. We will be going from being a Christian institution to being the living organism that God has called us to be that is fueled with the power of his spirit. People aren't scared of churches. Matter of fact, they look at us as weak. When the world looks at us, we, we talk big, but our lives don't reflect it a lot of times. Let's just be real tonight. Or this morning. And I say this to myself because my cry is, God, I don't want anything that you place inside of me to be contained if it's not meant to be. If your spirit is inside of me and you've placed me in this city because you radically want to see it turned upside down, there's no reason why it shouldn't be, God. Come have your way in me. Smith Wigglesworth. Anybody ever heard of Smith Wigglesworth? Revivalist in the, in the early 1900s. Wigglesworth, man, he was a freak for Jesus. He was legit. Man, some of us, we're so afraid of being freaks. We're so afraid of being weird. Guess what? You talk to an invisible God. And if you really believe the Bible, he talks back. And you can see things that he wants to show you. And you can do things that you see him doing. That is weird. Come on. If someone's sitting in their house and they're talking to themselves, man, I just love you so much, Jesus. You're amazing. God, your love is so uh, unending. Woo. If you walk by that person's room, you'd be like, that dude is a freak. What the? All right. Smith Wigglesworth. He went to a man's house because he was preaching a revival. And this man welcomed into his home. And the man had no legs. And so he goes into his home. Wigglesworth eating dinner with him. And, you know, they're talking back and forth. And all of a sudden, God tells Wigglesworth, tell him to go to a shoe shop tomorrow. And so Wigglesworth, he was just a servant who knew the voice of God. And he was just obedient. He heard the voice of God. He said, um, tomorrow morning, you're supposed to go to a shoe shop. And the dude looked at him like, are you serious? Like, for real, you're about to come up in my house and you're about to mock me. I go to a shoe shop. You don't got on legs. I mean, how many of you just want to jump over the table and slap that man, no matter how anointed you thought he was, right? You're going to tell me to go to a shoe shop and you know I ain't got no legs. You know how shady that is? You're mocking me, right? You think I'm stupid, right? You think you just play around with my life like that? I'm trying to play with my emotions. And that's how the man felt when he wrote the story. He said that's how he felt. So he said, you know, he heard it and he wanted to like, yell at him and tell him to get the heck out of his house. But he didn't. And so he went to sleep that night and he said he kept waking up in the middle of the night and he would toss and turn and God, how dare that man, man, the audacity of that man, man, the, the, the fearlessness of that man, that he would come in and offend me and tell me to go to a shoe shop. And I don't even got no feet. Can't even put my shoes on. I can't, can't even put no shoes on. I haven't had shoes in years. I mean, how could he even do this? And he said, well, God said, he's my servant, right? And I said, yeah. He said, well, why don't you just listen to him? And so he said, okay. So he got up in the morning. He went to a shoe shop. He went there. The retailer came in and he looked at him. And he's just standing there and he says, I need a pair of shoes. And the guy said, okay, what size and color? And he's like, 10? <laughs> and black? And so he's, I, he said, I didn't know what to say because I didn't know what size I wore. 
So I guess I'm going to wear size 10. And so he says, he went, talked to him, said, give me size 10, black. The guy came back, looked at him like he was weird, right? Because that's what Christians are sometimes in the world. And he said, he put him, you know, there. He said, the man sat down on a chair. And he said, I grabbed the first shoe and I put it to my stump. And he said, my leg grew back. And he said, I took the second shoe and I put it to my stump. He says, and my leg grew back. Wigglesworth refused to allow the presence of God to be contained to his service and to his sanctuary. He knew that he carried the presence of the living God. And the Father, the Spirit inside of him can speak at any moment. And what God desired to do would happen. Wigglesworth would often say, I'm not moved by what I see or by what I feel, but only by what I believe. There was times where he'd be in prayer meetings. He would be, people would just wanted to be in his presence. I mean, wouldn't you want to be with someone that experienced God's presence like that? I mean, me, I would just be like, dude, hey, can I get at your house? I don't even got to say nothing, man. Oh, man, I'll, I'll clean your whole house. Just let me be in it. They would say he would be in a prayer time and he would just be sitting down. And pastors would come in. Preachers would come in. And they said as he began to pray and just fellowship and talk to God, they said the presence of God would be so thick in the room. Literally, that's in, in the, that Shekinah glory would come down in the room so strong that they would have to crawl out of the room on their hands and feet because they couldn't stand it. He did not allow the presence of God to be contained in a service or even in his own body. There was a moment where he was on a train and he was riding on a train and there was a man sitting right across from him. And he was, was not talking. He was just looking straight. And in his heart, he was praying, just talking with the father. He wasn't talking to the man. But he said, all of a sudden, the man across from him jumped out of his seat, went in Wigglesworth's face and said, man, you convict me of sin. He didn't even say nothing to him. He didn't do nothing. He sat there communing with the spirit. And the presence of God was so thick in his life that it convicted a man of sin right across from him. Satan knows that that power of the spirit is in every single believer in Jesus Christ. The question is, are you containing it? Are you allowing the enemy to keep it in that safe zone? By just worshiping in a service. By just participating in God's presence at a prayer meeting. Or are you taking that to your job? Are you taking that to your house? Are you taking that to your streets? Are you taking that to your neighbors? You know, we were were helping out on a home right here in Emeryville. And the woman that was there, she said, man, these last three days that you guys have come, she said, I've been filled with so much joy. I feel so much peace and so much joy in in my house right now. What was she experiencing? The presence of God in the body of those believers. The temple of God wasn't here at Living Hope during that time. It was in that woman's living room. There was a time I was working at Texas Roadhouse and as I was there, a young woman got, she had a headache and I was in the back, you know, I was serving at the restaurant and, you know, got everybody going back and forth and all this kind of stuff. It's crazy. It's loud. And the girl comes in and she says, man, I got a really bad headache. And I said, okay. I said, well, can I pray with you? I said, can I pray with you real quick? And I wasn't like getting ready to do this 10 hour prayer. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't, I didn't go grab olive oil from the back of the kitchen and get ready. You know what I'm saying? To anoint her and all that. I just said, can I pray with you? She said, yeah. I said, okay. So we're standing there. I said, I'm just going to pray real quick, all right? 
He's going to pray that God's presence come and heals you. Okay. So I displayed my hand on her head and I said, God, I pray that you would fill her with your spirit right now. That you would just overwhelm her with your presence. That you would remove the tension in her head. And that, God, you would just touch her. In Jesus' name, amen. And she said that at that moment when I prayed for her, heat went from her head to her feet. She said, I felt my body just got all warm. And my hands got warm. And she said, the pain is gone. And I said, that was the spirit of God that just came on you for that moment right there. And I said, God just healed you at that moment. I refuse to allow the presence of God to be contained in a service. I will not. And I don't always experience that, but guess what? That's what I'm reaching for. That's what I'm reaching to see come out of me because that's what God has placed inside of me. Because God has placed the spirit of God to bubble over in me like a river. Do I always experience those things? No. But am I reaching for it? Yes. Because I'm a minister of a new covenant. And the new covenant was not just that our sins would be forgiven and that we'll go to heaven. The new covenant was the promise that God would be among his people every moment of their lives, every day of their lives, no matter where they were. The presence of God would be inside of them and they would live as walking temples of his spirit. We need to refuse for the presence of God to be contained. And the last thing that the enemy tries to do is to quench God's movement in our lives. If he can't keep us ignorant of the presence in us, if he can't keep it contained in the four walls of our church or our own little experiences in our home, then he's going to try to quench the mess out of that. Because what you can't control, you try to kill. If there's a murderer who's on the, on the loose and he's taking people out everywhere he goes, you don't try to control that person. He's beyond that. You take them out. They can't be controlled any longer. And Satan knows that that's what believers are like. He knows that the 12 disciples were 12 men that turned the world upside down because they refused to be ignorant and they refused to be contained. And so what he tried to do, get them martyred. But so many of us are afraid of that. So many of us are full afraid of living without control and relinquishing all the control of our lives to God. And so we will remain in ignorance. Hey, I ain't about to read that because shoot, if God tells me to do something, I got to do it. Or man, I'll stay in the services, but don't ask me to go on a mission trip. Don't ask me to do ministry at my job. Don't ask me to, to walk in the priesthood of all believers. Heck nah. Let Pastor Benjamin do that. He's good. <laughs> what happens when you kill a flame, you try to take out its spirit. It's oxygen. Paul, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 19 through 20, he says, Do not quench the spirit's fire. Do not despise prophecy. You quench the spirit's fire by quenching his move. Now that move is not always when the prophetic or only when the prophetic is released. Sometimes that move is when God's nudging on you at 12 midnight to get up and spend five minutes in prayer. You'll do it to stay up and watch a show, but you won't do it for prayer. You'll do it because you're craving cookies and cream, ice cream or wing stop. But you won't spend 10 minutes in intercession with the Spirit of God. You'll do it to work out. You'll do it to go take your car to the car wash. You'll get up early to make sure you got all your errands run for the day. But you won't get up to fellowship with the Spirit of God. You'll take the Word of God that's being preached and you'll put it on a shelf. But shoot, if someone gave you $100, you better believe you're either going to invest that or you're going to spend it right away. But you got the greatest investment, God's very self. 
inside of you, but you'll put it on a shelf for a long time. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecy with contempt. When the word of God goes forth and you hear it and you say, well, that's an exciting word, man. That's going to change my life. Hey, were you a part of that service? That was heck of dope. You, man, they call that words of knowledge like everything in your life, right? Man, yeah, that's cool. Next day, struggling, discouraged. Hey, dude, what about what happened last night? Well, yeah, that was good. That was yesterday, though. <laughs> what are you doing? You're treating prophetic. You're treating the word of the Lord that's being proclaimed. You're, you're treating the movement of the spirit with contempt. When you walk outside of the door and you forget what God did, when Saturday comes a week later and you feel empty because you're not clinging to the promises or what was declared in the service, you're treating the prophet, you're treating prophecy with contempt. You're despising the work that the Lord is doing. And that, what does that do? It snuffs out the movement of the spirit. God's saying, well, even if I try to push you forward, you're just going to let it drop anyways. Even if I want to push you to to, to step out into more things, you're just going to tell me to be quiet anyways. Sometimes the greatest thing that God can do is not speak to us. Because if we don't obey it, he has to judge us. And we're saying, God, speak to me. God, speak to me. God, speak to me. But he said, I can't even speak to you because you won't even read your Bible. I'm asking you to just read, memorize one scripture a day. I'm asking you to just read one promise and hold on to it for a week. But yet you want 10 prophetic words? Come on, just get my word and cling on to it for one week and you watch as it multiplies. Don't quench the spirit's fire in your life. Or the second thing the enemy tries to do is he tries to take the flame. You know, when you get a coal or you get a log and you isolate it from the rest of the pile, what happens? It eventually dies. You know, we were playing paintball yesterday for Kenneth's birthday And it was super fun. I got this welt that's like this big on my thigh, right? And I think they had frozen that paintball. They were trying to cheat, man. They're trying to take me out. They're trying to take me out. See, y'all don't even understand. So the first game we're playing, where's David O? I need to play for salvation on that man. So the first game we're trying to play, I'm like, David, I'm like, come on, all right, bro. We got to stick together. We got to stick together, bro. And he's like, nah, man, let's just all go in. Just all go in. Everybody just bomb rush. I'm like, come on, dude. Like, I've watched Saving Private Ryan, bro. We can't go in by ourselves. They're going to pick us off. We're going to be taken out, dude. Come on. He's like, nah, let's just do it. The first game was my worst game. I got shot like 10 times. It was like the respawn game. So you go in, you get shot. You just go back to the end and get back in. And we're all individually like trying to take people out. David's being like, Rambo, you got shot like 20 times at least, right, bro? And we're sitting there, I'm like doing, I look up, all of a sudden I see like 50 paintballs coming at my head. I mean, one hit me in the side of my head. I still got like, it's like tender, right? The other hit me right here. And then I got shot. So I turned around with my hands up to walk away to go back to the end. They shot me in my butt. I was like, heck nah, y'all know you're cheating. But I blame David. Because he tried to get us to go out as individuals. He tried to get us to be single embers burning alone. Lord bless you, brother. But you know that that's what Satan tries to do all the time. Satan tries to get us to stay isolated and to stay alone. And you know what happened? We changed our strategy. So I was like, look, bro, you're tripping, dude. I'm in charge for a second. All right. I was like, we're going to stay together. All right. You four are going to flank that side. Who's going to cover? You two and you two are going to go in. You're going to go on this side. Who's going to cover? Right? So we made our plan. That was our strategy. We, I didn't lose. I don't know what team he was on. I did not lose a single game after that. Because we had each other's backs. 
And I got to cap people in their heads and in their butts. Keone, at the last game, we play a headshot game, right? So you could, the only way to get somebody out was shoot them in their head. And like this is like this is like crazy, like cutthroat, right? So last game, Keone was like one of the last men standing. And like I saw him. I had an angle on him. He was like right over here. And I was like right over here, posted on my knees, ready. And I saw him. I just started shooting. Da, 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 and I saw him stick up his hands. I was like, oh, heck no. Nah, this is for all my homies. Bop, 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 bop. I kept shooting him. He starts walking away. He hits him in the butt. He's like, ah. Oh. He's like, see? That's what happened when you try to mess with me, right? All right, that was a tangent, but the purpose, the point of it is when we made the strategy, you know what? We're going to stay together. We said in the natural that we're not going to let our embers die. We're not going to allow the enemy to isolate us to the individual places to where we can easily be picked off. Satan is constantly trying to get us to be individual believers who are individually living for God in their individual lifestyles, in their individual homes, in their individual personal walks with God. Because he knows that when the body of Christ is one together, he knows that when that fire is burning together, even when one coal seems to be dying down, it's placed next to five or ten coals that are hot. And what eventually happens when that coal that is dying is placed next to 10 other coals that is hot, that are hot. It catches flame once again. He knows that even for a season, there's seasons where we feel dry and there's seasons when we feel empty. There's seasons where we don't feel close to the presence of God. But he knows that if we stay next to each other long enough, pretty soon we're going to catch fire and he's going to have us running loose on him once again. And so he tries to pick us off and he tries to keep us alone and he tries to keep us isolated. I'm here to tell you, if you feel dry, if you feel empty, if you feel like God is far from you, if you feel like you are alone. First thing you need to know is that that is a lie because God said, never will I leave you, nor will I forsake you. I will be with you always. Do not be afraid for I am with you always. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. But if you can't seem to wrap your mind around that truth. And if your faith is, is, is waning at that moment and you can't see to lay hold of that, then what you need to do is get your butt up out of your house, stop feeling sorry for yourself, and come around other believers that can encourage you and speak into your life and fan you back into flame. Jesus, on the road to Emmaus, he's speaking with these disciples. And they're talking, and they just found out, or Jesus was crucified three days before. And they're walking down the road and he comes up to them and they don't even recognize who he is in Luke chapter 24. And the Bible says that their faces were downcast because sometimes that happens. Sometimes God does great things, but we're still downcast. Sometimes we hear news in our family. We hear news what's happening in our work and there's like a blow to our stomach. Now, I'm not saying you can never feel discouraged and I'm not saying you'll never feel afraid. I'm not saying you'll never feel those things. But see, when Jesus came up and walked alongside of them, he knew this one truth, that the spirit of God lived inside of them. There was a flame inside of them, but it was waning. And what did Jesus do to fan that flame? He began to open up the scriptures to them. It says that he went from Moses to the prophets and all the way through. And he began to declare to them everything that the Messiah, the Christ, would have to suffer. The, real, the way he fanned in the flame, what was inside of them, was declaring, this is what God promised. This is what God said. This is what the Lord is going to do. This is what the Lord declared. This is what the Lord proclaimed. He spoke the word of God and opened it up to them. And scripture says that they said, we're not our hearts burning. 
Were not our hearts burning when he began to open up the word to us? Were not our hearts burning? Why? Because Jesus knew when I birth something in the fire, that fire cannot die unless I snuff it out. The work that God began in you, he is faithful to carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And until God says you're done, you are not done. I don't care what you're experiencing. I don't care what you're going through. Until God says that your lamp is going to be snuffed out, it will not be snuffed out. Revelation 1, Jesus said, I am the one that walks among the lampstands. He's the one that set you on fire in the beginning. He's the one that's going to keep you burning. And when it's time for you to go home, guess what? There's going to be a big fire in heaven, so you ain't got to trip. We need to choose. Our theme this last couple months and coming, going all through September is the fellowship of the burning heart. Fellowship, the participation. Literally is what it means. The participation of the burning heart. As a body, God is stirring something up. I've heard so many believers the last couple of weeks say, man, I just want to fellowship with other believers. I just want to have times of prayer with other people. I don't want to just have to happen at church. I want to be able to have someone come to my house and we talk about God. God is stirring something up in this congregation that's going to go outside of these four walls. The question is, are you ready to be a part of it? Are you ready to let what he's placed inside of you come out? Are you ready to recognize that it's promised and that it's there? Are you ready to let it be uncontained? And are you ready to allow it to be fanned into flame? There should be no fellowship when we don't talk about God. I'm tired of hanging out with other believers for five and ten hours and the works of God never come up. You cannot tell me you are on fire for God and excited about the things of God when you're sitting there having lunch and you don't even mention one thing about what God is doing in your life. Now, I'm not being super spiritual here. I'm talking about just being a normal Christian. A normal Christian is one who walks with the presence of God in his or her life at every moment of every day. You may not feel like it's there, but it is there. I'm talking about we shouldn't be going to the movies and spending our money and our time. We're out for hours. And then the last thing we do together is just say, hey, man, bless you, dude. <laughs> See you at church. I remember times when I was in high school, we'd go to people's houses. And for three hours, we'd be talking about what God is doing. For three hours, we'd be talking about what we want to see God do. Dreaming about the things of God and what God can do. That's the fellowship of the burning heart. How can we participate in what it is that God is doing? How can we participate? And guess what? There's times where you may not want that, but you know what you do? You walk your butt to that friend's house and you sit down and you say, I need you to speak the word of God to me, dude, because I don't want it right now, but I want to want it. You know what I'm saying? It's like when you're married and your wife asks you to do the dishes. You're like, but I don't want to do the dishes. Well, I just want you to want to do the dishes, okay? I began to turn my prayer time to, Lord, let me want to do those dishes, Lord. Let me want to want it, God. And some of you spiritually need to begin to say, God, let me want to want to get into your word. God, let me want to want to get into your presence. God, let me want to want your spirit to come out of my life and flow from me just like you desired. God, let me want to want it. And you do that by getting along other believers and you say, tell me what God is doing in your life. It should not. We should not look at somebody cockeyed when they ask us, what is God doing in your life? That's a weird question. And I often hear that from believers. I'm like, what is God speaking to you? What? Speaking to me? Check my notes. Let's check my Twitter real quick. Pastor Benjamin said something on there. At any
any moment someone should say, what is the spirit of the Lord doing in your heart? And you should be able to, it should begin to overflow. It should begin to overflow. It should bubble over. What is God saying? What is God doing? How is he moving? And it may just be, he's telling me he loves me. Whoo, that's deep. If you recognize the love of God over your life, that is deep. There's no end. His love is unsearchable. But at every moment of every day, we should be conscious of the presence of God in our lives. And as we begin to move into the fellowship of the burning heart, together God is taking us as a body to participate in his work. And guess what? It will not be snuffed out. It will not be snuffed out. Come on, I want you to stand on your feet with me. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now, God. And Lord God, we declare in the name of Jesus that you are destroying ignorance in our lives, God. You're showing us the areas of our lives where we've been ignorant to your presence, ignorant to the promise, ignorant to what you've declared that's in us, God. Father, in the name of Jesus, I declare an awakening of hearts right now. I declare an awakening of hearts to the truth that is inside of them. God, awakening our hearts to the promise that's inside of us, your very presence, God. We were born to be thy dwelling place, the home of the presence of God. Come on, some of you just need to open your mouths and begin to say, Father, let that be a reality to me right now. Some of you need to begin to say, Father, let me recognize that I am meant to be your home, that I have meant to be your home. I have meant to house your presence everywhere that I go. Some of you need to begin to say, God, I don't yet believe it. I don't yet know it to be true. And I want it to be true, Lord. Father, we declare that ignorance of what's inside of us, the gifts, the calling, your spirit, God. Father, I declare in the name of Jesus that you are bringing knowledge. We will not perish for lack of knowledge, God. We declare, Lord God, you are removing that. And Lord, we declare that you are are removing every containment that the enemy has tried to place on our life, God. We will not be controlled by the enemy, God. We will not be controlled. The move of your spirit will not be controlled by us, God. We're going to let you take us to the places that you want us to go, God. We're going to let you take us there. If you want to lead us, Lord God, to the prostitutes, if you want to lead us to our bosses, if you want to lead us, Lord God, on the streets, if you want to lead us, Lord God, in our homes, wherever you want to take us, whatever you want to do, God, we want to go there, Spirit of God. Come on, some of you, you've just... You, you've been so afraid to lose control. You've been so afraid of what God wants to do. And you're just holding on. And today, the Spirit of God just wants to remove that fear. He wants to remove that sense of containment over your life right now. And some of you, you've just been feeling like, man, I feel like my fire has been quenched. I've been one of those that's been hanging out. And man, I've been there too. I've been there too. And you may be feeling that, man, I just, I don't want to read. I don't want to pray. I don't want to be in God's presence. And I just want to kick it. I just want to chill. I just want to relax. Well, guess what? You can relax in God's presence. As a matter of fact, there's no rest apart from God's presence. And some of you may just be feeling like, I want to want it. I want to want it. I want to want that. If that's you, I want you just to lift up your hand. If you're one of those that is feeling right now, man, I want to want it, Joseph. I want to want to enter into the fellowship of the burning heart. I want to want to talk about God with my friends and with my family. I want to want to talk about the Lord. Here's what we're going to do. As they have their hands up, believers around them, believers around them, I want you to just surround them. I want you to lay your hands on them and begin to pray, Father, fanning into flame. Spirit of God, fan into flame. Come on. Come on. Family, we're family here. We're family right now. We're family right now.